Are you a human being? Do you have a body? If so, maybe you've experienced at least one or two really weird medical things. Things that make the doctors go, huh? Even when things are operating exactly as they're designed to, sometimes the human body seems like a truly alien place. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a human being with a body that these days just sort of seems to be like, not today, Bob, every day. It really is no wonder that healthcare and medicine is such a massive industry. With everything that can go wrong in our bodies, there is seemingly no end to the need for specialists. And it seems every day there's something new and terrifying that can take up residence in your body and cause all manner of havoc causing reports to your doctor to read like your spinning tales of mythical ailments. Speaking of storytelling, I do a lot more of it over on the Strange and Unexplained Patreon, where, for just five bucks a month, you get three bonus episodes with topics like the incredible French explorer you've never heard of even though she broke boundaries and was generally a total badass, or the tale of a dude who got possessed by a My Little Pony, or a theme park based on a weird British TV character that basically looked like one of those stress dolls you squeeze and their eyes pop out? Humans are weird, man. And for just seven bucks a month, you get all that, plus all the regular episodes ad-free. And there's more exclusive goodies like videos of live shows and more. Join us over on Patreon for more Strange and Unexplained. Whether you operate at a 1 or an 11, you'll find something to keep you entertained. As I was saying, the human body is bizarro. Even with hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, our design seems so haphazard. As I said in a recent bonus episode, if one were to design a human body as we know it for a science class, the teacher would probably say, nice effort, poor execution. Consider a spine that doesn't start deteriorating immediately, or a birth canal that isn't deathly narrow, or a knee that has more durability than a Coke can. Sometimes I think about the very first organisms on Earth, those single-celled blobs that just floated around in the primordial ooze, minding their own business. They truly didn't know how good they had it. They didn't have to worry about things like rent or health insurance or what the appropriate amount of time is to wait before responding to a text from that person you met at the bar last night. They didn't have to get hip replacements or worry about plaque in their arteries. Not a single one of them ever told you to smash that like button. They just were. But eventually, after millions of years of a blissful existence without ever once hearing the phrase, you should smile more, one of these blobs had a little too much ambition and was like, is this really all there is? And the next thing you knew, there was two girls, one cup, and the industrial prison complex, and the Fox News Patriot Awards. Us humans and the weirdness of our bodies have gotten entirely out of hand. Here's some fun facts about the human body that you can share at your next family dinner. Earwax is actually a type of sweat. You produce about 40,000 liters of spit in your lifetime. Or, to put it another way, enough spit to fill around 500 bathtubs. 
the average nose produces about a cupful of nasal mucus a day. You are about one centimeter taller in the morning when you first get up than when you go to bed. This is because during the day, the soft cartilage between your bones gets squashed and compressed. On average, you fart enough in one day to fill a party balloon. We pee the equivalent of 500 bathtubs of pee in a lifetime, and the average human body can make seven bars of soap from its fat. For every one human cell in the body, there are 10 microorganisms, most of which are necessary for human function. So you could say we are more foreign matter than human. And here we are, we humans, with this hodgepodge of parts that sometimes feels like they were designed by someone with a really dark sense of humor. For some reason, our ears and noses never stop growing, which is why a lot of us end up looking like the big friendly giant by the time we're in our 70s. What could possibly be the evolutionary advantage of ears that don't stop growing, even though everything else has? especially considering how many of us lose our hearing as we get older. Like, if anything, our ears should shrink in proportion with our ability to hear. And as for noses, well, a lot of good that does when you consider how many elderly people can't smell anything from the pee they trickled on their pants to the rotten smell of the food in their refrigerators. As I mentioned in a recent bonus episode, Michael from The Good Place has this to say about the design of the human body. My breathing tube is next to my eating tube. This isn't going to be a biology lesson, but basically there's a trap door in your throat that closes when you eat so that food and liquid doesn't enter your breathing tube. So if something goes wrong, and it frequently does, like if you suddenly breathe in the middle of swallowing your meatloaf, Food goes down your windpipe, and if you're not careful, you go down the tunnel toward the light, if you know what I mean. My dad's trapdoor doesn't always work properly, so whenever he eats alone, he's playing a game of Russian roulette. In penile sapiens, that is, humans with penises, the pee tube has to pass around the prostate gland, which has an annoying habit of swelling, which blocks the pee and can cause sepsis and death. Speaking of the bathing suit area, why is the sewage system so close to the amusement park? I can understand why, for some, the rear exit is also a fun entrance, but for those of us with a front door so close to the back one, the proximity is dangerous. Imagine the guy who takes out the trash. He comes out the back door with the trash and gets distracted for a second or slips on a banana peel or something, and some of that trash gets back in through the front door. Now there's a high chance of contamination. Plus, generally, the backdoor area doesn't smell great, considering what comes out of there. So when you're inviting someone in through either door, you really need to make sure that the staff has properly cleaned and sanitized the whole amusement park. Speaking of inviting someone in through either door, the risk of infection is pretty high. You and I are fortunate enough to live in a time when we can usually pop down to the drugstore for some Avo pills and a bottle of cranberry juice if we get a UTI. But back in the before times, something as basic as a UTI could have meant a very slow and painful death. It's no wonder, with all that can go wrong down there, that certain cultures decided to make the whole area verboten, shameful, a no-no zone. And then some other cultures took that even farther and made entire portions of the population, like basically half, who possessed certain verboten, shameful no-no zones, 
verboten, shameful, no-no people. But we can't be 100% verboten because we also happen to be the ones who incubate and birth babies, which is kind of important for the survival of the species. But that, in and of itself, is another vital human function that is extremely dangerous and often deadly. The reason non-human mammals can walk or swim almost immediately after being born is because their gestation period is long enough that their brains develop to a point where they pick up those basic functions really quickly. But the human birth canal is so narrow that if we spent any more time in the womb, our heads would be way too big to get out. It's a super tight squeeze as it is. Even with major advancements in medicine and technology, humans face incredibly challenging circumstances during labor and delivery. One wonders why, in the few hundred thousand years we've been around, Homo sapiens haven't evolved to fit more survival skills in our brains at birth. Seems to me there's plenty of RAM in the newborn baby brain to have the factory setting include more basic functions. Hell, lots of adult brains seem to have more than enough empty space. At any rate, given how nonsensical some of the human blueprint seems to be, it's not surprising how spectacularly wrong things can go. Want to hear about some of the ways things can go wrong? Of course you do! One day during gym class at school, Alamja Nematuleyev, a seven-year-old boy living in Kazakhstan, complained of feeling something moving in his stomach. Apparently, it wasn't the first time he'd made this complaint, but whenever he had, his mother thought he was making things up and told him to knock it off. For most of his life, Alamjan had a pretty distended belly, which his parents chalked up to rickets, a common childhood disease in Kazakhstan at the time. Upon examining Alamjan, the school doctor became alarmed by the prominent bulge in Alamjan's belly, which begs the question, what took them so long? Unlike the boy's parents, the school doctor was like, uh, you need to go to the hospital immediately. A scan at the hospital revealed what the doctors thought was a large cyst. According to the book Mysteries of the Human Body, quote, they operated the next day and discovered a large, rounded mass pushing against Alamjan's stomach and lungs. After removing it in a delicate operation, they cut through the sac that surrounded it and saw dark hair, arms, fingers and nails, legs, toes, genitals, a head, and an approximation of a face. But they were still unsure as to exactly what it was. End quote. So, just to recap, a seven-year-old boy complained about feeling something moving in his belly, and in surgery, doctors found a fetus. The lead doctor on Alamjan's team said, we couldn't believe our eyes when we scanned him. We could see the clear shape of a baby inside him, and it wasn't a small baby. For almost seven years, it lived like a parasite inside the boy's body. The embryo was recognizably male and lay in such a way that he sustained himself from his brother. And technically, the baby was still alive, yet was not sustainable when separated from his brother. We had never heard of a case like it. Thank God the school doctor insisted on taking him to hospital. If this had gone on, we would not have been able to rescue him. So, just to recap again, a seven-year-old boy had a live parasitic fetus living inside his body and feeding off of him. Like alien meets twins, but more icky and IRL. Also, thank God this didn't happen in Texas. 
If it had, the whole medical team could have been jailed for performing an abortion. Alamjan's mother, Galnara, said, I almost fainted when doctors broke the news. I was stunned. It's just not what you expect to hear. We knew he was a bit overweight, but pregnant? Understatement of the year. Alamjan's situation is extremely rare. It's called fetus in photo, and it occurs in about 1 in 500,000 births. Basically, a fetus absorbs its twin during development, and the absorbed fetus continues to develop to a point and becomes a parasite on the host fetus. The parasitic twin usually develops in the abdomen or pelvis of the host, but they have been known to develop in other parts of the body, including a recent case in China where a fetus was found inside the brain of a one-year-old girl. Parasitic twins occasionally form partially on the exterior of the host's body, resulting in growths that might have proto-body parts, like Myrtle Corbin in the late 1800s, a girl with four legs, two of which were underdeveloped and useless. Fetus in photo can be identified as underdeveloped fetuses because they have vertebrae. But there is also something else that can grow inside our bodies that could be mistaken for an underdeveloped fetus. A teratoma, or monster tumor, is truly the stuff of nightmares. And I can only imagine that the first person who discovered one, either during a surgery or autopsy, had to have been like, you know what, I'm good. I thought I wanted to be in medicine, but I've had a good run, and I'm gonna go ahead and call it. And then spent the rest of their lives staring off at the horizon, occasionally muttering inaudibly to themselves. Go ahead and imagine what something called a monster tumor might look like. Unless you pictured something out of a cheap horror film from the 80s, you're off track. Does your image have a face? No, you're doing it wrong. Teratoma are tumors that can grow eyes, teeth, hair, and in some cases, fully formed organs because they contain germ cells that don't know any better but to continue developing despite the fact that they're on a mass of tumor cells. Occasionally, a teratoma has the teeth, eyes, and hair of an absorbed twin, but it can be distinguished from a fetus in photo because it doesn't have a spine. I mean, honestly, it's things like this that I think prompt people to believe in the devil. In fact, the reason I wanted to write this episode was because someone sent me a picture of one of these things, and I was like, growing a gremlin inside my body was not something I ever knew I needed to worry about. Let's move on to something slightly less horrific, shall we? Have you heard the one about the guy who could pick up radio signals through his teeth? In 1947, a woman claimed to suddenly hear commercials and an announcer's voice on a train ride from Cleveland to Rhode Island for about 10 minutes, even though there was no radio playing and no one else seemed to have heard it. The woman had silver fillings, but said she couldn't recall if she'd had them before or after the phantom radio incident. And a man in 1960 briefly had a metal cap attached to his mouth with a wire through which he claimed he could hear soft and distinct music, mostly while outdoors. A couple of years later, when his dentist replaced the cap with one without a wire, the music stopped. But these stories are more urban legend than verified fact. 
But in 1974, comedy legend and ginger bombshell Lucille Ball told Dick Cavett on his talk show about a couple of experiences in 1942 when she picked up phantom radio signals from out of nowhere. The first incident happened late at night, driving home from MGM Studios, when Ball suddenly started hearing music playing. Her car radio wasn't on, and no one else was nearby. The next day, she told her co-star Buster Keaton about it, and he asked if she'd been driving on Moore Park Avenue, and said it sounded like she drove by the radio station on Moore Park and picked up the signal. Ball had had temporary lead fillings in her teeth put in shortly before that and realized it must have been the metal picking up the radio signal. And yes, we used to literally put lead in our mouths. A few nights later, it happened again, this time somewhere else, near raised lots where a hospital was being built. She told Dick Cavett, As I went by there, I heard, I'm picking it up on my teeth. And I stopped the car. Then I looked around, the Morse code, like. And I backed the car up, and it got stronger and stronger, and I kept on backing it up until it really got strong, and my whole jaw was vibrating, like this. And then I got the hell out of there. I went, boom, like this, because it was very late. And I couldn't wait to get back to MGM the next morning and tell the security office, and they found an underground Japanese transmitting... Transmitting radio station. Radio station. And they captured them, and they, uh, you helped... Uh... I don't know what happened to yeah. them. I just turned it over. Let's have a look at those teeth that helped win the war. <laughs> According to Snopes, however, there wasn't any underground radio station in Los Angeles during World War II. But the article wonders why someone like Ball, who had plenty of fodder for talk show chit-chat, would make up a story like this. Plus, there's some evidence that Ball told the story to Ethel Merman when it happened, because something very similar to it ended up in Merman's 1943 musical Something for the Boys, which doesn't necessarily mean Ball didn't make it all up. Just because something is referenced in a musical doesn't make it true. It would just mean that 1974 wasn't the first time Ball had told the story. The show Mythbusters tried to recreate the conditions outlined in Ball's story and pronounced the idea of picking up radio signals through one's teeth busted. I haven't seen the episode, but I'm willing to bet they didn't actually put lead fillings in a human being's mouth. However, Snopes also points out that the FBI kept a very comprehensive file on Lucille Ball in connection to her investigation by the House Un-American Activities Committee in 1953, and that file doesn't have any mention of Ball picking up spy signals through her teeth. But according to Mysteries of the Human Body, some scientists believe that... Quote, on rare occasions, the human mouth could replicate this setup. The electrical conductivity of the human body can act as an antenna. A metallic filling in a tooth reacting with saliva can act as a semiconductor to detect the audio signal. And the speaker could be anything that vibrates within the mouth sufficiently to produce noise, such as bridge work or a loose filling, end quote. And in 1981, the Journal of American Psychiatry documented a case about a man who claimed to be picking up radio signals in his head through what doctors believed was shrapnel left behind in his head from a combat wound. 
The man was tested extensively and consistently identified whatever was being broadcast over a specific AM station without it being played anywhere near him. While he could identify songs that played, hum and tap along with them, he couldn't quite discern the content of spoken word. The only thing that would make the signal stop was when he laid down on the concrete floor of his garage. Sure gives a whole new meaning to the band name Radiohead. When I was growing up, I spent a lot of summers at Coney Island, and I went to the sideshow dozens of times. There was the man who drove a steel spike into his head through his nose, the man with no arms who would roll a cigarette and light it using his feet, the rubber lady who could contort in all sorts of ways and fit herself into a tiny box. One of my favorite acts was the electric man. He called up volunteers from the audience and one of us would sit in a metal lined chair with a light bulb in one hand and the other would stand next to that person and the two would hold a metal rod between them. When the electric man would flip a switch, the light bulb would light up. It was a pretty neat trick especially because it wasn't really a trick so much as it was a demonstration of conduction. I think it has something to do with the fact that we all have electricity in our bodies. I don't know. Don't ask me. Who do I look like, Bill Nye the Science Guy? Anyway, some people, it seems, really do run on a higher frequency than others. In January of 1846, 14-year-old Angelique Cotin from Normandy, France, was weaving silk gloves when suddenly the oak weaving frame began to twist and rock. This only happened in Angelique's presence. According to Mysteries of the Human Body, quote, over the ensuing days, she sparked many other curious incidents. Chairs twisted away from her when she tried to sit down, the power of the force being so great that a man was unable to hold down the furniture. A heavy table rose into the air when she touched it. If she attempted to sleep in a bed, it rocked violently so that the only place she could rest was on a stone covered with cork. Whenever she went near objects, they moved away from her, even without any apparent physical contact. Similarly, people standing near her would receive electric shocks without her even touching them." End quote. Angelique eventually found herself at the Academy of Sciences in Paris, where a team of doctors examined her. The team observed that for some reason, Angelique's powers, or whatever they were, were most potent in the early evening, and that the current seemed to come from her left wrist, inner elbow, and pelvis. She seemed to shake or move uncontrollably at times, and the movement could be transferred to anyone she touched. Angelique would get a small shock from the North Pole of magnets, but was unaffected by the South Pole. Her team of doctors concluded that, quote, Angelique possessed a form of electromagnetism, possibly brought on by some kind of nervous malady, and that her case demonstrated that under peculiar conditions, the human organism gives forth a physical power which, without visible instruments, lifts heavy bodies, attracts or repels them, according to a law of polarity, overturns them and produces the phenomena of sound, end quote. After a few months of being the most shocking gal in all of France, Angelique's electromagnetism seemed to disappear. Unfortunately, her parents made her pretend she still had the gift, if we can call it that, and charged a fee to watch her perform her magic, which ended up casting doubt over the entire affair. Some skeptics likened her to the infamous Fox sisters who claimed to be mediums who communicated with the dead through a series of knocks and raps. 
But as Brian Houghton over at MysteriousPeople.com points out, some of the feats witnessed in the lab in Paris could not have been explained away with some kind of trickery. For example, quote, chairs being flung at the wall so violently that they were smashed to pieces, or the immense kitchen table of enormous size and weight, which had been laid for dinner with plates and glasses, being twice overturned whilst Angelique was being closely watched, end quote. Houghton also points out, though, that it's possible that the original accounts could have been exaggerated, so there's no real way to know if any of this actually happened. Humans do conduct a small amount of electricity, and it's possible that some of us are more electric than others. But we can't exactly shoot lightning bolts out of our fingertips. Unfortunately, none of us will ever have the privilege of having Jeff Goldblum eviscerate us with one quip. Jeez, that, that was, I didn't hear anything, but uh, weren't those like sparkles out of your fingers, like lightning maybe? Maybe you've noticed that most of the stories about humans with seemingly superhuman powers are never very modern. Like, when is the last time you turned on your local nightly news and saw an interview with a young girl who could throw furniture around without touching it? I'm gonna venture to guess the answer is never. But if you happen to live in Saransk, a small town 400 miles from Moscow, in the early 2000s, you might have come across the story of Natasha Demkina who claimed that around the age of 10, she suddenly had X-ray vision. In 2004, when she was 17, she told The Guardian, I was at home with my mother, and suddenly I had a vision. I could see inside my mother's body and started telling her about the organs I could see. Now I have to switch from my regular vision to what I call medical vision. For a fraction of a second, I see a colorful picture inside the person, and then I start to analyze it. The Sun newspaper and Discovery TV were so impressed by Natasha's claims that they flew her to London to parade her around and test her. According to The Guardian, quote, During her visit, she went on ITV's This Morning and impressed Fern Britton by spotting her sore ankle. She also managed to unnerve the show's resident doctor, Chris Steele, who, when told he might have something wrong with his stomach, pancreas, liver, and kidneys, nipped off for a scan at a Harley Street clinic. He was later given the all-clear, end quote. The Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, or PSYCOP, an organization of professional skeptics, designed a test to see if what Natasha was claiming was real. In the first part of the test, Natasha was tasked with diagnosing subjects who had described specific ailments to the testers. Apparently, she did well enough on this portion of the test that most of the testers were impressed. But the second part of the test involved Natasha sitting in front of seven people and a list of ailments. Her testers decided that if she could accurately match five of the subjects with the correct ailment, she would pass. She got four right. She later told The Guardian, The atmosphere of the testing was unfriendly. The conditions I was looking for were, in some cases, dubious. Why is it that if I get five out of seven, I pass, but if I get four, I'm a total failure? Fair question. But Professor Richard Wiseman, a professional magician turned psychologist and paranormal investigator at the University of Hertfordshire, who helped design the test, chalked Natasha's accurate results up to good guesses. He likened her ability to no more than a kind of medicalized fortune-telling and said that people who were impressed with her ability were victims of confirmation bias. He told The Guardian... When I saw her do her usual readings, I couldn't believe the discrepancy between what I was hearing and how impressed the individuals were. 
I thought they were going to walk away saying it was embarrassing, but time and again, they said it was amazing. Before each reading, I asked the people what was the main medical problem, and Natasha never got one of those right. Regardless of the naysayers, Natasha charged people to benefit from her X-ray vision, claiming to be able to diagnose them with things doctors couldn't seem to figure out. She said she was going to use the money to go to medical school to be able to integrate her incredible ability with medicine. Whether or not she ended up in med school, I don't know. Today, she would be 37, but it seems she's completely fallen off the Western world's radar. Let's venture back into the concrete world of actual, provable, strange things that the human body can do. In general, we know that the body has an incredible ability to heal itself. As a piece in Discover Magazine notes, quote, bones can heal themselves, skin constantly replaces itself, the brain can make new connections thanks to neuroplasticity, lungs can generate healthy cells when someone quits smoking, but the liver has truly incredible self-repair capabilities. It can actually regenerate. After surgery, the liver can regenerate two-thirds of its volume in as little as a few weeks, end quote. However, sometimes this healing ability can seem to defy the limits of science and venture into the territory of the miraculous. When Brandon Connor was in his mother's womb, he was diagnosed with neuroblastoma, a type of cancer. Brandon's had resulted in a tumor on his spine. If left untreated, the tumor on his spine could have been harmless, but it also had the potential to be malignant and cause all manner of awful things, including death. When he was two, his parents found a specialist in San Francisco, and the family flew from Atlanta to have the risky surgery to remove the tumor on Brandon's spine. The day before surgery, the doctors performed an MRI to pinpoint the exact spot on Brandon's spine where the tumor sat. But the MRI showed no tumor. Where the tumor had been was now just harmless fatty tissue. Brandon's mother recalled the doctor calling her in and saying, The good news is there's no surgery Wednesday. The bad news is you came all the way to San Francisco for an MRI. The tumor's gone. And no offense to anyone who lives there, but in my opinion, anytime you have to go to San Francisco, it's bad news. But, San Francisco fan or not, Brandon was now cancer-free. Doctors were at a loss to explain what had happened, except that perhaps it had been a misdiagnosis to begin with. Although one has to assume that Brandon's cancer wasn't just diagnosed from images of a tumor, right? Like, doesn't cancer show up in things like blood tests? According to a piece in the Los Angeles Times, quote, doctors believed Brandon's tumor may have been a neuroblastoma that committed cellular suicide, an action some cancer treatments try to produce. But because a biopsy was never done, it was also possible that the lump was another type of tumor that regressed, said Dr. Catherine Mathe, a pediatric oncologist at the university, end quote. As of press coverage of this case, Brandon was a happy, healthy, tumor-free two-year-old. I know exactly how they must have felt. Back in the early 2000s, I had weird growths at the base of each of my fingers, like tiny pebbles under my skin. I had them for months and months. They were hard and painful. The first doctor I saw just sort of shrugged and said, uh, dunno. 
But the second doctor said, we're going to have to do surgery to remove these. Strangers, I shit you not when I tell you the next day the little growths were gone. It's like my brain heard the doctor say surgery and was like, not today, Bob, and just figured out how to deal with it. Okay, upon relaying that story out loud, I can see that what were probably harmless calcium deposits disappearing on their own is not exactly like finding out you magically don't have cancer anymore. It is amazing and frankly terrifying how little we actually do understand about the inner workings of these amazing things we call our bodies. For example, doctors have no idea why the same medicine used to treat a rare brain-eating amoeba found in two kids around the same time only worked on one of the kids while the other one died. Or how a woman in New South Wales survived with a three-inch worm living in her brain. Or why a young man who suddenly went into heart failure because of a virus found after almost three months in the hospital waiting for a transplant that his heart was just like, nah, I'm good, and healed itself. All of these cases are medical anomalies, but the number of stories is astounding. We can't cover everything strange about the human body in just one episode, so we'll just have to save some of those anomalies for future bonus episodes. It really is no wonder that some people believe in gods and demons. When you know you're one good sneeze away from a double hernia or that you can pinch a nerve just by sleeping wrong and spend the next six months in a special kind of agony they really haven't figured out how to ease yet, or you might be unknowingly hosting your long-lost absorbed twin, you might hope there's someone upstairs with some kind of plan. Somehow, it's more comforting to think someone somewhere is pulling the strings than to know how truly precarious our existences really are. Because if there isn't, you might just want to think twice about getting out of bed in the first place. Next time on Strange and Unexplained. We've all experienced the draw of a trickster at one time or another. Someone who claims to be something they aren't. Sometimes it's pretty innocuous. Just another person with an overinflated sense of self. But sometimes a con man's work has disastrous consequences for real people and their lives. We'll meet Richard Walter, a man whose grift helped destroy people's lives. Can't get enough Strange and Unexplained? Join us over on Patreon for three bonus episodes a month for just five bucks. Or for $7, you get three bonus episodes and all the regular episodes ad-free. Patreon.com slash Strange and Unexplained. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, and produced by Natalie Grillo and Angela Palladino. Research by Jess McKillop, edited by Eve Kerrigan, and sound engineered and mixed by Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Jordan Kai Burnett and Ryan Garcia. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for a topic we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, head to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. 
If you like our show, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. A five-star review and a quick sentence really helps the show out a lot. If you don't like the show, the name of the podcast is Sons of Liberty. 